The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And the only place to hear the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Um, Listen, my therapist told me to write letters to all the people that have done me wrong. And then, and then burn them. So I did that, but I just want to know what I do with the letters now. Thank you very much. Bye. Jeez. <laughs> How badly did he burn them? Is it like a first degree burn or third degree burn? I mean, I, I don't know what's going on with Duff there, but Duff is on the road with Guns N' Roses on their summer stadium tour. I will be there in Las Vegas to see Duff and Slash and Axel and the gang. Uh, go see them if you can. The set list is great. The band is great. It's Guns N' Roses. Come on. Get your tickets at GunsNRoses.com. And don't forget FozzyRock.com to get your tickets for the Save the World Tour, which starts September 2nd in Columbus, Ohio at the Newport Music Hall. September 2nd uh, in Columbus, like I said, September 3rd. Joliet at the Forge, uh, September 4th. Belvedere at the Apollo Theater. Don't forget, if you're coming into Chicago for All Out, uh, Joliet is an hour from Chicago and Belvedere is about an hour and a half. So if you're looking for something to do on that Friday and Saturday, come and rock with the Foz. Then we got September 6th in Kansasville and we continue on all the way until October 9th in Orlando. Go to FozzyRock.com uh, for ticket information. We got Through Fire and Royal Bliss coming out with us. And if you want to be a part of the VIP experience, uh, there's only some VIP experiences left in seven cities. We've sold out on all the rest. So go to FozzyRock.com to get tickets and VIP info. And don't forget, we're also going to Europe, to the UK, starting November 30th in Manchester, England. We are sold out in Nottingham, sold out in Swansea, but we still got tickets available for Newcastle, Glasgow, Scotland, Dublin and Belfast in Ireland, Birmingham, London, Lots of shows coming up. Chester. So go to FozzyRock.com once again. VIPs are available for that tour as well. All right, and today it's a return to the paranormal with the legend of the Mothman. Now, journalist Joe Sills is here talking about the trip he took this year to the Ohio River Valley to investigate the site of the original Mothman sightings. He's filling in the details about the first appearances and all the things that happened around those encounters back in the late 60s and how it all ties in with the Silver Bridge collapse of 1967 that was later turned into the 2002 movie Mothman Prophecies. Joe's also talking about what he experienced when he went to check things out for himself and what he believes about the creature's existence. Let's get into the legend of the Mothman right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so over the course of the last couple of years, uh, I came into contact with Joe Sills, who's with us right now. I don't even know how we got in contact. Was it for some article that you did or something? Yeah, man. So it was a story for Travel Channel about that uh, show you had, the monster hunting show. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I remember that interview was was really crazy because I was actually like on the shore of Loch Ness when you called me. Mm. And um, right after we, we wrapped, I went to this cemetery that had been Aleister Crowley's yeah. cemetery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scary as shit, man. Well, that's funny. We could do a whole other show on that because I'm obsessed with the Loch Ness Monster. But you always kind of have ideas for, for shows. And we, we just did a, another uh, interview for, for podcasts, etc. And you happened to mention that you have done a lot of 
research on the Mothman. Now, it's funny. I had a cryptozoologist called Lauren Coleman on probably year one or two of of, of Talk is Jericho. Mm -hmm. And he talked a little bit about the Mothman. I did another show for a pilot of the Bridgewater Triangle, which is up in that whole area. Mothman was, yeah, yes. So Mothman was mentioned a little bit in that, but I've never really had a full kind of delving into the whole Mothman legacy and legend. So when you brought this up, I was like, it's perfect, man, because (laughs) that's something that I probably never would have thought of until you thought of it. And you uh, kind of had a lot of uh, ideas and thoughts about that. So Mothman expert, Joe Sills, that's another one of your illustrious uh, uh, things we could put in your resume. Yeah, apparently, a uh, uh, professional explorer, travel writer, and Mothman expert. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get kind of involved in that uh, with with the whole Mothman uh, legend, shall we say? Yeah, so my job is as a travel writer. I'm a freelance journalist. I write for Forbes, Discovery Networks, Nat Geo. And basically, if I'm not traveling, I'm not making money, mm-hmm. you know, straight up. So you can imagine during COVID... Right. Uh, yeah, I'm stuck in my house in Memphis. There's nothing going on. And after about three months, I'm like, I have I have got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> you know, so I just threw a tent and uh, some camping gear in my truck and I drove coast to coast. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's interesting. I just camped the whole way pretty much. I mean, every few days you'd stop and get a shower somewhere because you just get unbearably stinky. Right. Mm hmm. But throughout the course of these travels, you got to have something to do. So uh, I listen to Talk is Jericho, and mm-hmm. I listen to a show called Astonishing Legends, which is like deep dive paranormal. I mean, they'll do 12 hours on a topic. Wow. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So throughout the course of that, you know, countless hours on the road, 20,000 miles and campsites and all this, I'm just like so into this four part thing about the Mothman they did. And after two months, I make my way from Memphis to San Francisco to Grand Rapids, Michigan, to Portland, Maine. And finally, I'm in New York. Right. And I realize, oh, shit, I'm like basically a day's drive from West Virginia, where the epicenter of all this incredible Mothman legend is uh, focused. Okay. So, so. Before we kind of talk about your experiences and all that sort of stuff, explain a little bit about what exactly the Mothman is and the legend behind that for people that don't know. I think we should go right into the legend because I think we should. That's yeah. what we're, that's the whole the whole crux of this whole situation. Yeah, I mean, unless you know the insane legend of the Mothman, uh, you just kind of roll your eyes at it, right? Right. I think a lot of people are probably familiar with the Mothman prophecies. It's a 2002 movie with Richard Gere. Right. Uh, it's got a really cool cover. Um, it's like big red glowing eyes on the front of it. It's, it's a creepy horror movie, but it really only scratches the surfaces of what actually happened during this crazy time frame. So, so tell us what happened. I'm going to paint the scene for you a little bit. It's 1966. It's fall. Ohio River Valley. We're in small town America amidst rolling hills, a lot of forests, a little bit of industry scattered here and there. And you're three, four hours from the nearest town, like Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Columbus, Ohio. I mean, you're not exactly, you know, they're not going to bump into a Starbucks, even if they had them back then. Right. So super rural America. It's fall, a little after Halloween, early November. And you've got four kids in a 57 Chevy. It's night. They're doing what kids do, right? They hit the back roads, go out into the country, pull off onto a road, pull off on another road, pull off on another road. And they're looking for a spot to, I don't know, maybe drink, maybe make out, whatever. Uh, and their names were Linda and Roger Scarberry and Steve and Mary Millette. And they're all about 18, 19 years old. They're in this 57 Chevy, which is like straight out of American Graffiti or or Christine or something like that. Just old school. (laughs) Yeah. 50s, big American car with a V8 and fins on it. And, you know, by then it's a little outdated, but whatever, they're kids. So they're driving through this rural area 
and they turn into what's called the old TNT area. It's an abandoned World War II ammunition plant. And at the time, during the war, it was top secret. There were 3,500 people working in this area that consists of brick power plants with stacks on them and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little concrete igloos. Maybe they're 30 feet in diameter. Uh, rows and rows and rows. And all of it was kind of hidden in this swamp area, hidden in this extremely dense forest. Uh, I mean, if you saw it from the air, you wouldn't know anything was there type situation. So great spot for kids to go and hide from adults. Yeah, right. I mean, probably they had something like that in Canada. I mean, who knows, right? Well, they have something like that everywhere you go, Florida or Memphis or anywhere. Yeah, exactly. And this is and this is Point Pleasant. Um, what state is that? West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. Got you right. So it's, it's 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 rural for sure. Right. They're outside of the town of Point Pleasant, which is about four thousand people, maybe a little less. Uh, they're only ten miles outside of town. Mm-hmm. You know, seems pretty safe. Uh, so they're driving along this dirt road and they're nearing the old power plant, which by 66 has been abandoned for 20 years. And in Appalachia, the earth can retake what's is very quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lush landscape. Uh, it's filled with really fast going plants, a lot of animals and it's night. So through their headlights, they kind of see this dirt road. They probably see bricks from the power plant. And one of them looks over, and in the headlights, they see a really strange sight. And it's something that terrifies the shit out of them. They see a pair of glowing red eyes. Hmm. About two inches in diameter, about six inches apart. And as they near these glowing red eyes, they see what's behind them. And according to their accounts, they were interviewed days later. It was a man-like figure, about six feet tall, with ten-foot wingspan. Mm. Giant wings, like you would imagine on a devil, like leathery wings, hanging behind this creature, staring at them from the woods. So what do they do? I mean, what would you do, Chris? Well, run screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. They turn the 57 Chevy around and they book it to the highway. And as they're going as fast as they can possibly go, this creature begins to follow them and they turn off of the dirt road. Yes, it's following them and they can see it in the back window. They can see these giant wings and it's sort of soaring behind the car. Really? Yes. Flying after them now flying after them and it's not really flapping its wings it's just kind of like soaring and swooping back and forth on the back of the car and allegedly like the wings would scratch the the roof of the car you know Mm -hmm. they turn onto the main highway headed as fast as they can back to town and according to what the scarberry said at a hundred miles an hour Mm. now a 57 chevy is not a slow car even today right I believe they could go 100 miles an hour, and it's a straight road. So they're booking it down this highway, and at 100 miles an hour, this creature is on their ass. Hmm. It stays there until they get to the streetlights of town, and then it veers off into a field. Wow. So this is just those four teenagers that see this. Um, I'm sure, of course, people probably don't believe them at first. Now, is there other sightings of this after the initial uh, appearance of the Mothman? Yeah, Chris, absolutely. Uh, All told, about 100 people. Wow. 100 people over the course of 13 months would see this thing. Uh, And even that night, the teenagers went to a diner and they sort of debated what to do. They, They didn't really know what had happened to them. They were freaking out. And they did eventually go to the cops that night who went back to the TNT area with a search mm. crew and uh, they didn't turn anything up. But uh, over the course of the next few days, a massive manhunt ensues, which triggered a lot of these subsequent sightings where you've got people going into the power plant and shooting at shadows and reportedly seeing this creature in broad daylight. Hmm. 
I mean, absolutely just bizarre stuff in so many accounts. Uh, the newspapers were all over it. It made local news, then regional. Then eventually it got as far as the troops in Vietnam. How? What do you mean? The Armed Forces Network picked up the story. Oh. and they, they, So they sent newspaper updates of this situation that was ongoing for months and months to Vietnam. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let me ask you a question. When, when you said that it was seen in broad daylight, how was it described then? You know what's weird about this, Chris, is almost all of the descriptions are eerily similar. Hmm. They all describe red, glowing, or flaming eyes, even in the daytime. So to my mind, that would eliminate something like, uh, uh, you know, a reflection like an animal might have right at night. They all describe a creature that's six, seven feet tall with humongous wings. It's gray and when it flies, it just sort of levitates off the ground and shoots up in the air like a, a superhero. Mm-hmm. Super bizarre. But that's not the only thing associated with the Mothman story, Chris. Okay. What else you got? So as all of this is transpiring, there's like a hysteria going on surrounding this creature in the forest outside of their small town. Some other strange events begin to take place. And Chris, these are really the events that scare me. I'm not so worried about a giant Jersey devil type thing because I'm not convinced that that's real. Mm -hmm. But the other events are a lot harder to write off than, say, a giant bird or an undiscovered creature in the woods, you know? Right. I want to take you back to two weeks before the Scarberries and the Milets had their encounter in the 57 Chevy. Okay. I want to talk to you about a guy named Woody Derenberger. Woody is a traveling salesman. He's an adult, so he's a little bit older than these kids. And Woody is driving uh, through the night in early November, not mid-November, through the small town of Parkersburg. Now, Parkersburg, West Virginia is not so far from Point Pleasant, maybe an hour. It's on the similar highway along the Ohio River as the ones that the kids had their encounter on. And Woody had a totally bizarre experience. As he's driving his panel van down the highway at night, a vehicle blurs past him. I mean, it like scorches past his van. Incredible speed. And as it passes him, it rotates in the air and begins to slow. Hmm. Yeah. So it's some sort of craft that's slowing him down, that wants to stop him, not wreck him, but just stop him. Mm-hmm. Eventually, uh, Woody slows. He, he can't get around it. He tries to swerve off uh, into the grass and get around it, but it, it's sort of a long, gray, bulbous craft. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to visualize, but if you think about a, a bulb, like a light bulb, only right. it might have two receptacles on it, sort of elongated, and it's hovering just slightly off the ground. And of course, this is a pretty weird deal. And, and Woody has actually been recorded in some interviews. And he's like, an, you know, a typical West Virginia, got a, a draw. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, seems like a pretty down to earth guy. And he said, as he stopped, a door swung open on this craft. Hmm. Weirdly, it was like a hinged door, like a normal door, you know? Right. And out steps... A man is just very peculiar. He's dressed almost like one would dress to go to town in the 1920s or 30s. Right. He's sort of wearing a suit and an overcoat over the suit and a hat. And as he's approaching Woody's panel van, Woody realizes that the man that he's looking at is talking to him hmm. telepathically. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's telepathically being told to roll down his window. 
and it had been raining that night. It wasn't raining then, but mm-hmm. uh, presumably he needed the window rolled down so he could get a better look at Woody. Right. And the guy's very calm. He's he's got his hands like kind of tucked into his armpits and trying to look non-threatening, I suppose. Um, except the fact that he's just arrived in a floating spaceship. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. So he, he walks up to Woody and Woody rolls his window down and, and the guy says very calmly, don't be afraid. Woody's interviews, of course, he says, I was I was very afraid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, I was right. terrified. And the man introduces himself and, and he he says, my name is Cold. What are you called? Hmm. And the guy says, well, I'm, my name's Woody Darren, Derringer or Derenberger, and uh, this is my van. And Cold begins to ask him a series of questions that are sort of strange and innocuous. Right. Questions like, what's that town over there? What are those lights? And he gives him a response that says, it's called a town. It's a place where we conduct business. Mm-hmm. He's like, Do, does everybody live in the town? No, most of us live outside of the town and we go there to do business. Do you have a job? Do you have to work for a living? Yes, I have a job. I'm a salesman. And Cole tells him that he is a searcher. Hmm. So after a while, they talk and Cole heads back to his craft and he tells Woody, we will see you again. Wow. Disappears. Huh. All that's going down like not very far from the TNT area where like a couple of days later, the Mothman would show up. So obviously you're saying that there's a relation there. I'm saying that people over the years have drawn a connection between mm-hmm. the UFO encounters that sort of begin with this um, guy in the panel van and mm-hmm. cold coming down and the Mothman. Because for 13 months, you've got strange lights in the sky Cold would go on to visit multiple people in the area. Um, he would allegedly have telepathic communications with Woody until the day he died. Really? Yeah. And you've got people citing this Mothman, a hundred of them at least, all around the same time from like November of 66 to December of 67. It's f- weird. It's interesting that you say that because anytime not anytime, but there's a lot of different examples of people thinking that, you know, for example, even the Bigfoot or whatever could be from another planet or dimensional, multidimensional or something on those lines. Right. seems like a, the Mothman kind of has the same vibe about him. You know, I feel that way. Um, there's so many theories and there's also a lot of other strange events going on. Um, the UFOs and the monster sightings, they eventually attract a man named John Keel to the right. area. Uh, Keel, as you know, is a famous ufologist. Oh, okay. Uh, so Keel it, would write a book that goes on to be the Mothman prophecies that inspires the film. But as you know, as a journalist, when you start digging around in areas, sometimes it's not welcome, right? Mm-hmm. So as Keel is doing research for his book, he's sort of getting in with locals and gathering information and he, he keeps it pretty tight to the vest. There's another author named Gray Barker that's sort of doing the same thing, and he doesn't want to share information from what I understand. So, you know, really tight to the vest, but as Keel is traveling around and interviewing people that have had a close encounter with a UFO or a Mothman, Mm. he begins to experience some really strange circumstances of his own. So, behind Keel come a series of encounters with men in black. Okay. And that's what freaks me out a lot. So, the people that Keel talked to would subsequently receive a visit from some pretty odd characters. There's one description of a couple named the Christensen family. Now, they talked to Keel and... A few days later, a black Cadillac arrives at their door. It's mm-hmm. like a night, big 1963 black Cadillac. And we know all this because they were interviewed. So it's all kind of documented. That's why we know the makes and models of cars and whatever. There's a knock on the door. 
and there's a man in an ill-fitting suit, dark-colored suit. Mm-hmm. He's about 6'6", 300 pounds. So, I mean, round about the size of the rock. <laughs> right. Know? Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, this giant rock-sized man is at their door, and he's got pale skin. He's wearing a wire that runs sort of from his sock up into his legs. Mm-hmm. And he says, do you have a few minutes to talk? I'm with the Missing Heirs Bureau, and we think you may be deserving of a long-lost inheritance. Hmm. So they say, uh, okay. You know, these, right. are, <laughs> these are just wholesome small-town people undergoing a very weird experience. And they let the man in. They said he had a, a really plain name that they subsequently forgot. Smith, something like that. Right. He says, okay, well, I'll only be here for 40 minutes. Very precise. Mm-hmm. And he also says, as he sits down, in about 10 minutes, I'm going to need a drink of water. Which, I mean, how many times has someone to come to your house and said, Chris, in 10 minutes? Yeah. I'm going to need a little bit of the bubbly in 10 yeah. minutes. You know? Especially stranger, you know? Right. It's totally weird. Uh, and he starts asking probing questions about what kind of birthmarks do you have? Do you have any tattoos? Do you have any injuries? What school did you attend as a kid? Strange questions. Mm-hmm. And, and sure enough, in 10 minutes, he needs a glass of water. He gets the water and he pops this strange looking yellow pill and keeps going. And somewhere along his visit, I guess he had ruffled his coat or took his overcoat off or something. And he had accidentally revealed a badge. And the Christensen family said it, it, it was like a gold badge that had sort of a, a K with a circle on it, mm-hmm. which has been hypothesized as a Sigma, um, which has something to do with some sort of astrological order or something like that. Right. So the guy disappears. And as he walks out the door, the black Cadillac comes up with no lights and drives off. Men in black, then, is kind of what you're referring to. Absolutely, Men in Black. That scene was sort of played off of in the movie with Will Smith and um, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones. So anyway, all of this is going on and Keel's being followed by Men in Black and people keep seeing UFOs and people keep seeing the Mothman. And it's just a total disaster in this small town. Just absolute pandemonium. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. How does that tie in? Because if you talk about the Mothman prophecies, uh, the movie, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the big things is, is the collapse of the bridge. And I just Googled it. Uh, I'm not going to come across like I know everything, but the silver bridge and 46 people died yeah. on this bridge. And that's December 15th, 1967, which is about a year and change after the Mothman is first seen by the Scarberries and the, and the twin of uh, the uh, teenagers. So kind of expa- yeah. talk a little bit about that situation. All right, so the Silver Bridge connection is this. As all the men in black are flying around and Keel is doing research, he begins to get a series of strange phone calls. When he would check into a hotel, for instance, there'd be messages for him at the desk or the phone would ring and it would be for him. Now, this is 1967, so how are they tracking this man? I mean, if it's the government doing it, do they have a early era GPS on his car? Is it some sort of paranormal force that's tracking him? Who knows? But these phone calls are are sort of a series of garbled messages of of static and and weird omens. There's an omen that, I'm sorry, there's an omen that the Pope will be assassinated. 
Uh, there's an omen that something's going to happen to the president of the United States. And there's an omen that there's going to be a major disaster on the Ohio River. So it's like enough information to keep Keel searching, but it's not enough information to actually provide him with useful intelligence to prevent anything from happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And December 15th, 1967, these omens come to a head when Keel is watching a broadcast of uh, the national Christmas tree being lit in DC. The tree is lit and the broadcast is interrupted uh, by a news flash that the silver bridge in Point Pleasant, West Virginia has collapsed. It was loaded with rush hour traffic, 30 something cars on the bridge, 46 people dead. All of this happened within a matter of 60 seconds. Hmm. So one of the couplings on the, the bridge, it was like a suspension bridge of some kind, snapped. Everybody goes down. Everybody dies. And after that, the Mothman sightings and the UFO sightings in the area peter off. And Keel's phone stops ringing. Okay, so what are you saying? The mystery of the Mothman and the reason that the Mothman Prophecies book and movie are sort of non-conclusive in my opinion is because people are drawing a line between men in black ufos cryptid creature and all this is happening in sort of a triangular area of the ohio river valley now it's alleged that the mothman appeared as a warning to the people of point pleasant mm, right and it's alleged that the UFO encounters were also a sort of warning to the people of Point Pleasant, all leading up to the collapse of the Silver Bridge, which ends up being a horrible disaster for months and months there. They're dragging people and cars and wreckage out of the river. They convert part of downtown into a temporary morgue. It's just wow. a horrible scene. So was there ever any other examples of the Mothman appearing and then a tragedy occurring, like as if the Mothman was a warning? Yeah, Chris, I think there are some legends of Mothman-like creatures appearing uh, as far as, as Chicago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you hear about that from time to time where it's sort of like the, uh, the black dog that allegedly appears in the White House before a, a national disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of become a symbol of impending doom. And I'll tell you what's really interesting is remember that omen about the Pope? Right. Explain the omen, though. Which one is it? So the omen that Keel received on the phone about the Pope, it said that a man dressed in black pretending to be a priest will attempt to assassinate the Pope with a black mm. dagger. And then in 1970, three years after Keel got that phone call, uh, indeed, a man named Benjamin Mendoza y Flores attempted to assassinate Pope Paul VI at an airport with a black dagger. Hmm. So it's just, it's really weird and it's really difficult to explain. I think when you talk about cryptids, Sasquatch makes sense in a lot of ways. Ghosts make sense in a lot of ways. They're the departed spirits of someone past. Sasquatch, mysterious creature, lives in the woods. The Mothman to me is, is somewhere between like Jersey Devil and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's like this weird amalgamation. And to me, growing up in rural Tennessee, like few things were as frightening as a freaking fiery eyed monster flying after you in the woods at night, you know? Sure, of course. You're as a kid growing up, I, I lived about an hour outside of Memphis and we would hit back roads all the time. And, you know, you're worried about a lot of things as a kid that would listen to Weezer and skateboarded. You know, you're worried about, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. There, are there are guys in town that don't think like you and don't want you around their property. Right. Mm -hmm. And they have guns and they will throw things at you. So that's what I was worried about to grow up and hear about this other thing. I'm already freaked out uh, growing up in haunted houses. I'm already freaked out by Johnny Quest episodes about the Jersey Devil. And here's this like actual story with verified evidence and a book and like hundreds and hundreds of people that have seen it and aliens and like everything all at once. It's just absolutely horrifying. So has there been 
after this bridge collapse in 67, was that kind of the end of the Mothman or is there still some sightings? Because there is uh, some pictures that have been taken kind of recently that yeah. look pretty creepy. I'm sure you know which ones I'm talking about, but yeah. um, is that just kind of a, a abnormality or is this something that you see from time to time? I think it depends on who you ask. Even as recently as 2019, there's sightings. Uh, you can look on YouTube. There's stuff from 2016 and 17 where people have filmed a large creature with wings that can't be explained. Right. Uh, to me, unless it's happening in Point Pleasant, I don't think it's the Mothman. So that's kind of the Mothman's uh, area is that Point Pleasant place. To me, it is, Chris. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not saying that it's impossible that the Mothman is a real creature, because how do you explain 100 people seeing something, some of it in broad daylight? Right. I mean, it's got to be something to it, you know? No, I mean, that, and that's the thing. And there's always kind of where the, the, the smoke happens. There's fire. And it's interesting, too, because you see a couple other sightings that have happened kind of on a worldwide basis. But you are saying that it has to be kind of in that area of, of the Point Pleasant. So that leads us to you are traveling across the country in 2020 and you decide to go to this area to start looking around. Yeah. Uh, kind of let us know what, what happened when you did, what you experienced. Yeah, this is, is really something I kind of did on a whim. When I'm traveling, even on that camping trip, I had professional camera gear. I had drones. I had, mm. you know, enough technology to say, well, I can maybe go out there and give it a crack and at least come up with an interesting story for a blog or something. Right. Um, so I'm in New York. I've done 20,000 miles. I've been on this trip for two months. And I wake up and I point my truck to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm like a total... I'm a total cliche. I get to the West Virginia border. I'm listening to John Denver, like <laughs> country road. <laughs> yeah. And, and I actually hate that song, but for some reason, <laughs> you know, that's going on. And this is, it's late afternoon by the time I get in West Virginia from New York, it's mm -hmm. not, you know, it's not a short drive, but the path to Point Pleasant, which is sort of in this corner of West Virginia on the Ohio River, like across the river from Ohio itself. Uh, it's on the far side of the state. So you, you sort of snake in and out of West Virginia, Ohio. And as you get near Point Pleasant, you see these looming cooling towers. What looks like a nuclear power plant. Okay. It's, it's actually a coal plant, but I guess they need the cooling towers. You know, it's very Homer Simpson. Like, this is where he would work. <laughs> you, you roll into town, and across the river in Point Pleasant is, are these towers. And they're sort of surrounded by the remnants of a town. You know, there's, like, abandoned houses everywhere. Uh, they're, they're older, like, from the 30s, 40s. 50s maybe i don't know um and it's just this eerie scene before you ever get in point pleasant you, you just see this like remnant of the heartland of america where once there was this booming industry is now just a coal plant spewing smoke and smell mm. into the air you know right it's real bizarre i, I stopped there uh take some pictures because gotta have that like that's cool and I check into an Airbnb in Gallipolis, Ohio, a small town right across from Point Pleasant, across the new Silver Bridge. Uh, and it's like an Airbnb that's on the water, and I'm stoked because, like, the shower, and it's going to be great. You know, this is, like, one of my last stops before I head home. And I had decided on the trip that I was going to go out that night and explore Point Pleasant the downtown area has a really cool Mothman statue that's sort of, uh, it's like silver or chrome. It's in the middle of their downtown area. And I'll send you some pictures of that so you can post it if you want on the show. Sure. No, really, really cool thing. So I knew if I was going to get a neat blog post, I at least needed a picture of the statue. Now, 
as I get in the truck, it's dark. I'm headed towards the statue. I don't know why I decided this, but kind of spur of the moment, I'm like, F it. I'm going to go out to the TNT area. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm any kind of writer at all, I've got to go there at night. Like, I can't be a wuss and go in the daytime. I've got to do this shit at night. Right. And I'm alone. Uh, and I'm sleep deprived. So that's probably why it seemed like a good idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I go to the Mothman statue. Cool. Looks great. It's like a historic downtown. And I turn my truck towards the TNT area. And I'm on the highway that the 57 Chevy was on. And I know it. Because I spent the whole damn drive listening to that podcast again. Right. So I'm like real up on it. Um, But before I go out there, I stop at the local police station. It's also on the highway. Because I want these guys to know, hey, there's going to be a guy out there driving around. One. So like, don't come and arrest me. Two. If somebody goes, if I go missing, like there should be somebody that knows when I left and where I was going. Whether that's from the Mothman or whether it's from, you know, crazy people that live in the woods. Agreed. Sure. So I stop at the police station, which is just this little, I hate to call it Mayberry style police station, but it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's two cops at the counter. And I walk in. It's a little weird because it's COVID and I've, I've got a bandana up over my head. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, I hope they don't like shoot me. And I've got long hair. And so, like, maybe they don't like me already by just looking at me. When I knock on the, the precinct and they buzz me in and they're like, what do you want? Blah, 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 you know? Right. And I explain, you know, hey, officers, uh, my name's Joe Sills. I'm working for the Travel Channel which is a bit of a fudge. I was kind of just hoping it would end up on the travel channel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I tell him, I'm like, I'm working for travel channel. Is it all right if I go to the TNT area? Like, is that, is it off limits? Like, what's the rules here? And they kind of give me the once over. They're like, okay, you know, that's fine. If you go out there, I mean, no big deal. People do it all the time. It's public land. You can go. You know, just be careful. There's like stuff out there you don't want to like get your truck stuck in. Mm-hmm. But while I'm doing that, I kind of turn to leave and they're like, hold up. You said you're with Travel Channel? I'm like, yeah. The cop pulls out his cell phone. It's like a smaller one. There was like a bigger one and there was a smaller cop. He pulls out his phone and he says, hey, I want you to take a look at something. Hmm. Yeah. Pulls out his phone. He says, listen, man, we're not like worried about the Mothman. Whatever that was, if it was ever anything, stopped happening a long time ago. But what we are worried about in Point Pleasant is ghosts. Hmm. Right. It's just what we need. Ghosts in the whole equation. Right. You know, I'm like, all right, so what's on your phone? Like, it's pretty weird that a cop would pull out a phone and show you anything, right? Right. He pulls out a video and he kind of has to scroll back through his timeline and he hits play. And on his screen, you see it's focused on the little radio unit inside of a squad car. And the officer's doing his final like check for the night, whatever they have to call in and say, I'm going off a shift or something like that. And when he phones in a dispatch, that statement in return he gets this incredibly bone chilling sound. Hmm. It's like an electronic garbled squeal. And it's just shrieking through the radio unit in the squad car. And it's absolutely haunting when it happens. And they said to this day, it freaks them out. They, they cannot explain what that sound was. Mm-hmm. And they say when they go on calls all of the time, they will get people that call in and say, there's somebody in my house. There's somebody upstairs in my house. I'm afraid, like, help, help, help. They get there. They go upstairs and check out whatever it is because they're looking for footsteps or knocking or whatever. Nothing there. Mm-hmm. And it happens like on a regular basis according to these police officers. 
So once again, what are we looking at? That I have a theory on. I have a theory on that. So before the American Revolution, when Virginia was just a colony, right? Uh, two years before the revolution happened, there was a major battle in Point Pleasant. Like literally where their downtown sits today, there was a skirmish between a Shawnee tribe and a, a Mingo tribe and the colonists in Virginia. The battle lasts all day. It's called part of what's called Lord Dunmore's War. Mm-hmm. If anybody out there wants to look it up. It's literally just like a couple day war uh, that happened. And this was like the only major encounter. But in this, it's a fierce battle with hand to hand combat, tomahawks, rifles on both sides, just absolutely grisly. And it kills, I think, about 100 people all combined. Mm-hmm. And they all sort of die on the ground that. The police precinct is on, the hotels downtown are on, the houses are on, the Mothman statue is on, the Mothman Museum is on. All of it happens there. And these fools have kept what they claim to be some sort of Native American altar stone on public display downtown. Hmm. I'm not a Native American history expert, and I've never heard of altar stones like in that context. But I think we can both agree that when you keep shit like that, probably not good. Well, it's interesting. Once again, from when I did the thing with the Bridgewater Triangle, that was all based on, uh, I think it was called the Battle of King David, where thousands of Indians were slaughtered by pilgrims, which kind of created all of these yes, you know, bad vibes in the area. And there is a certain sort of stone, a granite that is underneath you know, the dirt in this Bridgewater Triangle area. And that's kind of the boundaries of all of this crazy shit that happens. You can go and Google it, anybody that's listening. But it seems this is kind of a similar thing when you're talking about ghosts and you're getting into Mothman and you're t- talking about UFO. It is kind of in this West Virginia area where yeah. all of these kind of battles took place, which could lead to some of this stuff resonating and, 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 and I guess uh, lingering is the word. Yeah, Chris, I, I do think you're onto something. So you're saying that Bridgewater Triangle, the, the stone beneath it is actually like sort of the spiritual boundary of all that weirdness? Yeah, and, 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 and from what I remember when we were looking into it, we actually discovered quite a few cool things. It's too bad that it never made air, but there is a certain type of, I can't remember the actual ge- geological term, but some sort of sheet of rock that kind right. of is indigenous to this area because the Bridgewater Triangle, I think it's like a 200 square mile area. And yep. in that world is when is where this kind of certain sheet rock exists. And then as that disappears, so do all of the things that happen because, because the Bridgewater Triangle had all of these things, even mm-hmm. more from giant snakes to Sasquatches to ghosts to UFOs, you know, uh, um, when Indigos, Wendigo, and even like the little, I can't remember, the, not leprechauns, but kind of those type of little little creature things that just had everything. And when yeah. you go into this town, I can't remember what it was called. It's easy to find. All of the locals will say, same thing as the locals in Point Pleasant. Yeah, stuff happened here. Uh-huh. And you might not believe it, but if you live in this area, it's more than just legend, you know? Right. And it's like a part of their life that they sort of begrudgingly moan about. And they're like, God, it's inconvenient, but this is where we live. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, if you're talking about Point Pleasant, I mean, there is that giant statue of the Mothman in kind of the town square. There's Mothman festivals that happen every year. I mean, it's probably become a tourist industry for them. Yeah. um, But that is because there is a legend behind it. Yeah, exactly. So. You know, the cops have their theory. The cops believe it's super haunted and that the Mothman is either something demonic to do with hauntedness or it's something that happened that's gone. But either way, I told him, like, you know, all right, listen, Andy Griffith, like, I'm going out here, <laughs> you know? Well, it's interesting, though, because, like, like um, when you're talking about kind of the Mothman as a figure, 
I kind of mentioned it earlier, but but just kind of doing some research, like there was Mothman even connected with Chernobyl or uh, Mexican flying swine flu or the 2011 nuclear disaster in Fukushima, Japan. There are visitation stories from that a Mothman right. type creature, right? So right. we're thinking that maybe it's situated in Point Pleasant, but maybe it has become more of a harbinger of sorrow sort of thing. I mean, it could be right now when you're in Japan, have you ever asked around about that? I haven't because I didn't even really know about it until earlier today. Like, you know, when you said, cause you sent me quite a few and we need to talk a little bit more of some of the videos that you took and some of the field notes that you had. I kind of just went and did a, a few research and read a few articles to see exactly. Cause I knew the story from the movie and stuff, but just wanted to see what else was out there. Yeah. And there are kind of some examples of international Mothman type, Kind of like I said, like almost, you know, the forebearers of doom. Here's the Mothman. Uh Oh, we're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. I would be really interested in that. If you have a chance to get to Japan again, uh, don't know when that will be. But right. You know, you're kind of a you're kind of big in Japan. Maybe you could get some stuff going on. I'm here. big in Japan. Uh, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you too. You had some videos that you sent me of actually going into some areas where a Mothman or the Mothman. Yeah was supposedly living or something along those lines kind of explain that that's correct um so i go out at night uh, i'm in a in my truck and i drive around these back roads uh, of the tnt area and it's it's very much like where i grew up in tennessee just leafy dense a few cars here and there parked off in little cuts probably kids but it's so dense and there's not really a, a map of it that i could find so I'm just kind of blindly looking around as a full moon is rising in front of me and behind me, you still see the lights and the, the fluorescent lights and the yeah. steam of that power plant. And it it's pretty eerie enough to where somebody who's supposed to not get freaked out by this kind of thing as an adult anyway, I get pretty freaked out, Chris. So from, from just seeing that or from hearing about it or from what? I think from from being in the area and experiencing a feeling that all of the people in the sixties talked about. Gotcha. There's, there's this feeling of, of imminent dread of doom of like, somebody's watching you. Something's right behind you. You hear about this a lot with ghost things, right? Yeah. Uh, like maybe when you're in the honey Island swamp, there's, you had that feeling that something was with you, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. So I had that feeling and I'm out in these woods and I'm alone and I'm driving and looking for bunkers because the Mothman is said to have resided in either the old power plants that were on the property that are now demolished or these, these igloos I talked about, like concrete dome structures where they would store TNT, dynamite, uh, no, no pun intended, they would store dynamite and keep it in these dome structures that were designed to not only be really hard to see from the air, but like if they blow up, it directs the blast down. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm driving around. I don't know a couple hours. I couldn't find the damn things because they're way off in the woods and all of the articles I found about it, like on Atlas Obscure and stuff, they said you had to hike and they didn't really have good directions. So I'm freaked out. And I can't find what I'm looking for. And after driving around, I don't know, miles and miles of these back roads, I just say, like, screw it. I got to come back in the day. Mm -hmm. So the next day I come back and that's where you see the footage I sent you, which we can also share with whoever of me driving through what is a swamp. Mm -hmm. There are roads in the TNT area that are built like levees. And on either side is toxic swamp water. It contains traces of TNT uh, or of toxic chemicals that they use to build bombs and, and build ordnance from World War II. Hmm. It is a super fun site. It was declared an EPA super fun site in 83, which means the government has to pay like millions and millions of dollars to come clean it up. Uh, it's seeped into the groundwater. I mean, it's like a whole environmental disaster zone. Wow. And within this, every... 50 yards or so on the right roads you see these concrete igloos so i finally find one it's like early morning uh, i park the truck i've got my drone out 
got my cameras and stuff. And as I approach these igloos, which are still shrouded in shrubbery and foliage and are pitch black dark inside. So they're frightening even in the daytime. I see the carcass of a dead animal. Hmm. Like right in front of the door. As if something had put it there. I mean, fear a dead animal, like, I don't know. Something put it there in my mind. Right. You know, it's rancid. It stinks. It's a couple days old. It it could be a deer. It could be a coyote. Like, it's really hard to say, but it's big. Uh, I kind of step over that. And I walk into this igloo where I've heard for weeks now that, you know, this is where the Mothman lived. He lived in these basically perfectly designed shelters. And it's so bizarre because as you step into this igloo, you put one foot on the concrete floor and your footstep echoes up and it echoes back at you. Hmm. And your own sound wave sort of hits you in the chest. There's a video I took on my phone where I literally just step, no theatrics. It goes pop, 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 pop. And you see the phone shake as my own sound wave hits me. Hmm. But the purpose of that, Chris, was to see, do these igloos really exist? Are they big enough for something like a Mothman uh, or any kind of monster to live in? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, straight up, they sure are. Well, that would be assuming that there's still a Mothman around. So are you thinking yeah. there still could be a Mothman in existence? I mean, this picture that we see, you know, and I'll, I'll post it as well with the show. They're saying that it's, oh, it's it's nothing major. It's just a, an owl with a snake in his mouth or whatever it may be. But yeah. when you look at this thing, it looks pretty creepy, man. It does look like a humanoid type of a creature with the wings and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I think it could still exist. Um, quite frankly, there were areas of that TNT area that were closed off. I couldn't get to. Mm-mm. There are rumored to be underground tunnels that are maybe connected to other outlets in the mountains that it could escape from. The power plants were torn down in 94, so they're gone. Right. But there are still other large structures there that you're not allowed to go to because they're either private property or they're like super off limits due to the EPA or something. Mm -hmm. And add to that, there's just people that live out there. It's like 3,000 acres. It's sprawling, massive. Um, Something like 70% of it is swamps and forests but there's another large percentage that's farms and houses so as we start to wrap up here what's your overall thought idea of of what the mothman could truly be i think having strongly considered it and having investigated firsthand what is out there i think that because the Mothman became an international sensation, there was motive for the writers, Barker and Keel, to keep writing. There was motive to have a story. Mm-hmm. So whatever things people were experiencing are probably sensationalized. And I'm probably going to get a lot of heat for this, but... I feel like it's possible that the accounts were sensationalized, that every possible stone was unturned, that every event that could have possibly been perceived as odd or peculiar, you know, like your ice maker going off in the night and making a boom in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I think that that's probably what the root of the Mothman theory is. Um, Maybe there was obviously something that these people saw originally, uh, the teenagers in the 57 Chevy. I believe they believe what they saw. Right. But I also believe they were 18, 19 year old kids. And I, I mean, at that age, I was going out in the woods and looking for ghosts, too. <laughs> yeah. And so they just happened to find one, right? Exactly. You know, and also, I, I work in outdoor writing as well. And I've talked to hunters that often run across giant birds that aren't supposed to be there anymore. Right. Uh, maybe not in a TNT area, but. I talked to a guy who ran across a sandhill crane. It wasn't supposed to be where it was. Mm-hmm. Those are like six, seven foot wingspan birds. Right. Uh, there's another kind of crane that's bigger than that, that 
Uh, there's only a couple hundred of in the wild, but it showed up on a hunt. So, and Chris, when you go to the TNT area, even in my drone footage, there are large herons, there are large cranes, um, things that I honestly should have been a little more aware of and probably not flown around. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I think that's what it is. I think you have a really good story. You, I think it sort of got legs of its own. And here we are with this fantastic tale. It's uh, almost like a unique piece of Americana. Well, you're right. And, and like I said, there's always two sides of it. There's the scientific way to look at things. There's the, oh, these people are crazy type of way of looking things. And there's also, you know, I always, and I have a lot of these types of, of shows on Talk is Jericho, as, as, as you would know. Mm -hmm. I always think there's, could be more to it. And I also never discount, you know, like you mentioned, some kind of extraterrestrial activity, maybe some kind of dimensional thing. I mean, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of kind of portals in the world that open and things sneak in and out. That could be what a ghost is. I've had a lot of people on who think ghosts are visitors from other dimensions that slip to the cracks as well. Yeah. And this could be that, you know, it could also be some kind of a grim reaper, you know, harbinger of sorrow. Like I said earlier, that, that was here to predict certain, you know, nasty things that could happen. So who's to say for sure, but like you mentioned, definitely something, there's some grain of truth to it somewhere down the line. I think so. And it could be, you know, like if you watch Star Trek, they're all the time coming across creatures that are, they just exist. They're like unexplainable things in the universe. And I know that's sci-fi, but I don't disagree. No. It could be like interstellar, you know? Yeah. I always go back to the coelacanth, of course, which is the fish that they found that was supposed to have been extinct millions of years ago. And in 1963, somebody caught one. Yeah. So who's exactly. to say, right? Exactly. Well, Joe, it was great uh, talking to you and having you on. And it seems like there's a lot of interesting stories that you could tell. So we'll definitely uh, have to link up and do some more of these in the future. Oh, Chris, I'm so down to do that, man. That uh, cemetery at Loch Ness, dude, it's pretty hard to beat. I'm a big Loch Ness monster fan. I have it tattooed on my arms, so that'll be the next one for sure. Yeah, and one last thing about the Mothman. I will say that the sensation I felt in that cemetery, identical to the TNT area. Ooh. There you go. Food for thought. Yeah, thanks, Chris. It's been <laughs> awesome, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks, dude. <laughs>